Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 28th, 2011. For newcomers, you should always make use of the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com while we have it, because things are changing fast. And you'll find hundreds of audios to download for free where hopefully you'll understand the incredibly big system, this complex system that runs, overruns governments. Uh, it's above the world government, in fact. It's, it's everything. It's the, it's the big boys themselves who own everything, who transfer and slush uh, billions and trillions across the world every day in the stock market. An old, old concept, and of course they formed their clubs and associations a long time ago with the intent to bring in a planned society. After all, they were the most elite. They were the ones who were most evolved, they claimed themselves, and they had this, nothing should really stop them from running the world the way that they think it should be run. And we would live the way we, were, we should live, you see, according to them. And a planned society also brings in population reduction and many other concepts. So help yourself to those audios. They'll help fill you in, as I say, give you a lot of shortcuts to who are still running the world today. They've been at it for an awful long time. They've been publishing their own books for over 100 years, in fact, and you're here to read them at the CFR. And uh, they really tell you what's going to happen because every, every writer in it is also a major writer in every major media. They're all members of the same organization, and there are also many, might have hundreds and hundreds of so-called experts and foreign experts and special uh, experts to do with certain areas of the world, etc., 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 Remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you. You can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and help me uh, just to trickle along as well because I'm not in it for a, uh, an empire or anything like that to empire build. Uh, I'll also, too, you'll find out how to do it at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, how to order them. From the U.S. to Canada, you can always use a personal check. Remember, it's only currently left you can do that with, I think. U.S. to Canada. And you can also use an international postal money order from the U.S. to Canada. Some people use send cash, some send yeah, PayPal or use PayPal. Across the world, it's Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. So and remember, straight donations are really welcome, and that journey helps me just get by. But as I say, we're, we're, this battle's been going for a long time, and I came out a while back, many years ago, because so I realized I'd read all the books by these boys, the boys who formed the, the, the associations, the clubs, the foundations, the, the movers and shakers in the world. And I realized they meant what they said, and they were actually implementing it big time in the early 90s. So uh, it was the same, I decided it was time to come out and share it with the public so that they, they'd have an understanding of the fact that politics is a sham, always has been a sham. It's, uh, it's really a Punch and Judy show or a wrestling match. You know, giant haystack stack versus the mountain man type deal. And every year, it doesn't matter who's in power, what party's in power, the same uh, ongoing United Nations treaties are signed that cement us further and further into slavery under this dominant expert-driven society. And that's really what it is, technocracy. And the technocracy, of course, came out full-blown in the 1930s 
along with Marxism as well, mind you, uh, as a way of uh, running the world. They call it technocracy. But those at the top, those who were born into the proper families, live awfully, awfully well, while the rest of us go down into austerity, as you call it. Which is a nice way of saying poor. It's very, they don't want to say our countries are poor, you see, but they've got some pride, so they, they say austerity instead. And, but poverty is poverty, and that's where you're supposed to go. And they are implementing, they've already implemented all the stages to bring it in, and the causal factors, in fact, to bring it in, and it's only a matter of convincing us that we have to do it. And unfortunately, with, as I say, all top uh, journalists in the Council of Foreign Relations on all major media and television, they shouldn't have too much of a problem. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and there's so much going on as always, there's always lots going on, so much so that you can't really keep track of everything and, and that's the way it's supposed to be actually. You're, you're mind bombed every day with a lot of irrelevancies, trivia, the, the occasional um, vital thing that you should know, but even the vital things come with lots of spin on them too. I don't think there's any real honest reporting out there from the mainstream, they can't be in fact because they're all controlled, as I say, by the one big group that owns them all, and, and that's the, the Council on Foreign Relations. Every top journalist, every, every news anchor, and the guys who draft the news up for them, in fact, uh, the guys who own the stations and the guys who own the papers are all members of the Council on Foreign Relations, which is the American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, who have rather grandiose ideas. I've had them for well over a 100 years about taking over the whole world, and uh, this is resources, everything, including people. We have resources as well. And um, they're doing their darndest to really sew it all up in this century. This is their century. This is the century of change, they call it. And supposedly it'll be run in a more scientific, proper manner, not this haphazard way where folk have rights and make decisions or go and protest things. Can't have any more of that, you see. So anyway, the one article tonight is to do with the Stop Online Piracy Act, and they call it SOPA. It's like a soap opera or something. But anyway, it was really started up by the big boys in Hollywood. But what's so interesting is the, the boys who put out all those programs to download movies and so on and upload them all are the ones who eventually started suing the people who were doing it. It's like a make-work project for lawyers. It really is. And, uh, and so they're all aboard this thing as well. But, uh, and there's so many articles up there about that. You should see some of the names in them of all the different programs they put out for us so you could do it. <laughs> now they want to sue you and make a lot more money off you. But anyway, it says, at this rate, the Stop Online Piracy Act isn't going to be passed anytime soon. It's not so really true they're passing a bit at a time. Since four hours into the second hearing in the controversial anti-piracy bill, the bill's primary architect and the hearing's leader, House Judiciary Committee Chair Lamar Smith, from Texas, admitted to temporary defeat, calling it a recess at just before 2 p.m. 2 p.m. ET, it says. At that point, only the first four of about 60 amendments to SOPA had been debated and only two accepted by lawmakers, including the one Smith himself introduced. That would narrow the definitions of websites that could be blocked under the bill. This is what we're going to do, folks, block all your websites uh, and, or just pull them. If this pace continues, the markup hearing will last several days. 
Ahead of the hearing, Smith released a statement saying the bill had broad bipartisan support, but admitted that it could be a lengthy fight to get it passed. Well, it won't be at all. What they do with all these, it's like politics and all kinds, all its varieties. Whenever there's a stalemate in something, one side's waiting to get the big bribes from the other boys, you know, the big, big, big boys. And, and that's really what they do. <laughs> that's why they change their minds, you know. Oh, yeah, well, I didn't know I thought about this and changed my mind. And he walks out with these stuffed pockets of rather fit, uh, very, rather fat dollars. But anyway, that's how it really is in the real world that we live in. So anyway, they want to go on and, and expand this whole SOPA deal until ultimately you, all you'll get on on uh, internet will be the authorized, the authorized, I mean authorized shows. And uh, everyone will be scared stiff to use use an article or to put up a video from something in case someone's got a patent on it, because they might, you know, they might, from, I'm talking about the big boys, you know, like professional boys, and they'll go after you. And they'll have organizations that do nothing except to surf the net just looking all the time. Uh, mind you, too, I've noticed as well, all, all the spyware stuff and, and gadgetry that you get, you download too, for your computer, they're all helping them as well. Doesn't matter how many times you switch things off, stop collecting data, blah, blah, blah. Next time you switch it back on, it's doing the same thing again. Yeah. But we've just been spied on all the time. Another article, too, is, goes back to 2002. Just to show you these guys always have nowhere they're going. And this is by uh, Governor Ben S. Bernanke, the man from the Banky. And that was November 21st, 2002. And it was about deflation, uh, making sure it doesn't happen here. And he goes through this long, monotonous diatribe of a speech that either he or someone else wrote, as they all do, and talk about inflation, deflation. But if he had to, he would bring in inflation. Basically, that's what it boils down to. But it's no really big news because he said that again. Uh, just a few years ago, and um, they all knew it was coming. They knew exactly where they were taking America and the other countries. As I say, they had the crashes when they wanted the crashes to happen. That's when they wanted the crashes to happen. For 30 years, the government had been stepping in before the stock market closed and pumping money into the Fortune 500s and the rest of them to keep them propped up. And it's only oh, two years before the bank crashed uh, that uh, uh, the big boy from the, the Federal Reserve came out and said, we're not going to do it anymore, I'm stopping it now. Well, that, that meant they only had a, a small time to write it until it collapsed altogether. Well, why wouldn't he keep pumping the public's money in forever? See, it was always rigged, you see. So it was because this is time for the new world order and austerity and all these things to get pushed, promoted, and that's why they crashed the banks when they did. Plus they looted the country as well. They didn't lose anything themselves, obviously. In fact, they got more at the end of it because all those little companies and so on that were invested with them that were under with the banks uh, didn't, didn't disappear. They're now owned by someone else. Now, these wind farms are quite amazing. If you've ever been near them, it's, you, you, it's an awful noise, terrific, terrific noise. Folk can't sleep if they live near them. And it makes them sick, too. People get really sick because the incredible amount of magnetic, electromagnetic power fields that it generates covers an awful lot of distance, and folk just get sick. And you're, not, you're not meant to live in a, in a high electromagnetic field like that. It's just not part of our nature. But... Uh, doesn't matter, of course, the big ideas there, and, and they push ahead with it regardless. And of course, they won't live anywhere. The big boys won't live anywhere near it. But also, it's amazing the cost of the thing. It's, it's just ridiculous. Wind farm operators are on course to earn up to 10 million pounds this year 
in Britain for turning off their turbines. See, every time there's a high wind or something, they, they turn them off. And they get paid to turn them off by the taxpayer. It says the rules meant that some uh, renewable energy companies were paid more to switch off their turbines than they would have received from ordinary operations. There was an exact same write-up last year at the same time. I remember reading it on the air. Official figures disclose that 17 operators were paid almost £7 million for shutting down their farms on almost 40 occasions between January and mid-September. Continuing to make payments at that rate would lead to a household, household is paying out £9.9 million in 2011 for operators to disconnect their turbines from the national grid. I mean, you can't lose if you own these things. Eh? You get paid to start the darn things up and keep them going, and you subsidise them every other way, and then you pay for them to switch them off for a little while. The scale of the payments triggered a review of the rules on so-called constraint payments. The payments are made when too much electricity floods the grid, with the network being unable to absorb any excess power generated. The money is ultimately added onto household bills and paid for by, guess who? The consumers, as always, eh? The consumers, the blind masses, as they call them. Last year, only £176,788 of such payments were made. That only, eh? Only? Uh, but changes in the way the national grid, which supplies energy to retail companies, balances the electricity network, have meant a huge expansion in their use. The rules mean, uh, meant that some renewable energy companies were paid more to switch off the turbines than they would have received from ordinary operations. In September, it was disclosed that £1.2 million would go to a Norwegian company that owns 60 turbines in the Scottish borders, thanks to a period of unusually high wind during the spring. Because of the rising cost, the national grid balancing system could now be overhauled to reduce the use of constraint payments. But apart from that, we've got to pay for them each time the propellers fly off them in the high wind and a lot of other things too. But that's how madness is, you see, and people are profiting from the madness. That's why you introduce madness. You, there's always a big scam going on, and there's people behind the scam. And this article too, we know about Obama doing the same thing in the U.S. and and, and throwing millions and billions into uh, alternate energy projects. And it's always well-connected people who get the contracts, I notice. But it's Linda, it says, politics-infused Obama energy programs. Uh, Linda Stereo remembers the excitement when President Obama arrived at Cylinder last year and described how his administration's financial support for the plant was helping create hundreds of jobs. The company's prospects appeared unlimited as Cylindra executives described the backlog of orders for its solar panels. Then came the August morning uh, when Stereo heard newscasters announced that more than a thousand Cylindra employees were out of work. Only recently did she learn that within the Obama administration, the company's potential collapse had long been discussed. They knew it from, from probably the beginning. They dried this thing off. It's not about the people, it's, it's politics, it's stereo, who remains jobless and at risk of losing her home. We all feel betrayed. Since the failure of the company, Obama's entire $80 billion clean technology program has begun to look like a political liability for administration about to enter a bruising re-election campaign. Well, it's not just a political liability, it's a public, it's a public that pay for all this stuff. Every last cent of it. Meant to create jobs and cut reliance on foreign oil, Obama's green technology program is infused with politics at every level. The Washington Post found an analysis of thousands of memos, company records and internal emails. Political considerations were raised repeatedly by company investors, energy department, department bureaucrats, 
and White House officials. The records some previously on report showed that when warned that financial disaster might lie ahead, the administration remained steadfast in its support for Solyndra. Mind you, you saw that money too that Obama was getting for his previous elections and so on from different people. The documents revealed by the Post, which began examining the clean technology program a year ago, provide a detailed look at the day-to-day workings of the upper levels of the Obama administration. They also give an unprecedented glimpse into high-level maneuvering by politically connected clean technology investors. Uh, everything is, is so riddled with corruption. They never mention the word corruption anymore, do they? Because that's quite, it's all normal, I suppose. It's normalized. Normalized corruption. What to find a new name for it? Normal eruption or something. Maybe a rupture. Back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. And this article is about Solyndra that went down the sewage canal and uh, it was a flop. And, uh, but what's interesting about it is how uh, the rest of the article goes on to, to explain how, how everything was centered around Obama, the administration, how, how they were, they got professional marketers in to find, find out how to spin it to the public so they take the blame off the, the administration. This is, you know, the governments are supposed to be there to tell you the truth on things. But there's not a darn thing they can be truthful about. Nothing. Nothing. Even wars. You know. But it says that they show that as Cylinder tortured officials discussed the political fallout from its troubles, the optics, they call it, in Washington, and the impact that the company's failure could have on President's prospects for a second term. Rarely, if ever, was a discussion of the impact that Cylinder's collapse would have on laid-off workers or on the development of clean energy technology. What's so troubling is that politics seems to be the dominant factor, said Ryan Alexander, President of Taxpayers for Common Sense a non-partisan watchdog group. They're not talking about what the taxpayers are losing. Uh, they're not talking about the failure of the technology, where we bet on the wrong horse. What they are talking about is how we're going to manage this politically, and then I would spin it to the public. That's what everything's about, you know, perception management, isn't it? The administration, which excluded lobbyists from policy-making decisions, gave easy access to venture capitalists, uh, which stakes in some of the companies backed by the administration, the records show. Many of those investors had given Obama 2008 campaign uh, cash. Some took jobs in the administration and helped manage the clean energy program. Documents show that senior officials pushed career bureaucrats to rush the decision on the loan so Vice President Biden could announce it during a trip to California. The records do not establish that anyone pressured the Energy Department to approve the Solyndra loan to benefit political contributors, but they suggest that there was an unwavering focus on, on, on promoting Solyndra and clean energy. Officials with the company and the administration have said that nothing untoward occurred and that the loan was granted on its merits. Oh, sure. <laughs> and it goes on and on and on with all the cash they kept throwing at it and all of the wastage. And and so on, and how Biden's office um, and other ones, when they were taken up with the with the problem, it actually says here, but had an orgasm at one point and and swore on another. But anyway, that's general politics for you. And of course, the folk get plummeted out of their jobs at the bottom, and that's all that matters. You say face at the top. 
it's, it's so sad, isn't it? Nothing changes uh, really ever uh, with, with these corrupts, egotistical maniacs at the top, the psychopathic types. Now, we also have lived through an awful lot this year, really. We've lived through an awful lot, and we're still living, at least some of us. And we've watched the, the, the various Arab Springs uh, uprisings getting funded and trained in Britain and, and America and elsewhere, then sent over and dressed like Arabs, because generally they're second generation living in the U.S. or Britain, and often Oxford uh, candidates, in fact, or graduates. And uh, they go over there and wave their little things and protest and and uh, then they go and talk in pidgin English as though they can't speak it perfectly well with an Oxford accent. So we'll through all that farce uh, and uh, with, the, with the UN condemnation of all these thousands that are getting killed daily and they're making the numbers up out of thin air because, you see, that's a big mandate to take over the whole Middle East. As I say, I won't go over again and again uh, the New American Century who first published it in 92 uh, with Richard per- with Perl and a whole bunch of them, Wolfowitz behind them. And then published again in 1998, and it's the same agenda today with the last two. In fact, read, read the Haaretz and other newspapers from Israel. They, they had the same list back in the 90s as well, because you used to compare them with it to the U.S., and, and they demanded that they take Syria eventually and, and uh, Libya out as well at the last, last moment. So it's all been achieved pretty well. So I've led to all that farce and an incredible propaganda. We've watched the plundering of oil wells all over the Middle East, and other resources. But this article here says Syrian non-governmental organizations are working directly with the British government. It's the same organization, actually. I remember it was working out of London uh, that was managing these color revolutions even before we heard of the start of them. Uh, they were getting them all trained, etc. So they've been doing the same for Syria. And it says here that uh, the coverage by the corporate-owned Western media exclusively relies on activists inside and outside the country. The London-based Syrian Human Rights Monitoring Centre, nice name for it, isn't it, which apparently has no web presence. The Damascus Centre for Human Rights, which boasts memberships with the National Endowment for Democracy. That's who's back in it. And Tides Foundation, all these big foundations, uh, funded International Federation for Human Rights and the Coalition for the International Criminal Court, funded by the European Union. So here's the governments funding them as well. The Ford Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the Open Society Institute, and the Sigrid Rosing Trust and Humanity, Humanity United. It says Humanity United in turn boasts partnerships with the BBC World Service Trust, quite a little NGO that says it gets it foments all these revolutions and trains them as agents, isn't it? And then sends them over to cause unrest. And it also has got NED, Open Society, US State Department funded Benetech, that's who funds them as well, uh, the Open Society Institute and the NED founded Solidarity Center, which mobilized Egypt's labor unions just as the U.S. Uh, stroked unrest began to falter. In other words, every organization involved interlocks with the vast corporate foundation funded imperial network. Uh, masquerading as individual human rights organizations and benign NGOs. In reality, the civil society network seems to supplant national governments and interface with global institutions like the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank and the United Nations, all of which have been contrived by corporate financier oligarchs. It is a modern-day empire in the making, but it's also with the train agents. Back with more after this.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. It's amazing too that when we're in austerity and, and throwing money across the planet, and it's definitely, definitely out of the US elsewhere, and they gave well, billions to the European Union over this whole banking fracas as well recently. But so it doesn't matter about that part of the loss of cash. And uh, they've now come out of DARPA with a new special satellite they put up there. It says, it sees when you are sleeping, knows when you're awake. Could be the theme song for a new spy satellite being developed by DARPA. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency's latest proof-of-concept project is called the Membrane Optical Imager for Real-Time Exploitation, or Moyer for short. If it doesn't work or it fails, it'll be called Meyer. I'll be down in the Meyer. And we provide real-time images and video of any place on Earth at any time, a capability that so far only exists in the realm of movies and science fiction. The details of the huge eye in the sky look something right up sci-fi as well, and it would be interesting to determine if it could have applications for astronomy as well. So it'll be a geosynchronous orbital system that uses a huge but lightweight membric, uh, membrane optic a 20-meter-wide membrane eye would be etched at a diffractive pattern, according to DARPA, which would focus light on a sensor. Reportedly, will cost $500 million U.S. for each space-based telescope. And how many are they going to build? And it would be able to image an area greater than 100 by 100 kilometers with a video update rate of at least one frame a second. It says the program aims to demonstrate the ability to manufacture large members. You understand that you've always got the ability to, ma- to manufacture any large anything if you've got the cash behind you. Right? And large structures to hold the optics flat. And so demonstrate the secondary optical elements needed to turn a diffraction-based optics into a wide bandwidth imaging device. I wonder what it really does too, apart from all that stuff. Maybe fire giant lasers down at you or something like that. To, to dissidents, you know. To social dissidents, perhaps. Another thing I've noticed in the news this last while is when they throw a few to the wolves of their own. You know, this is from a sort of kind of show business type of thing. And it makes you wonder what's going on when they do that. So either they've run afoul or they don't need them anymore or they're trying to cover up something even bigger. That's generally what it's about. But it says, four says, uh, Philadelphia Daily News writer Bill Conlon sexually abused them as children. Three women and a man say they were molested as children by Bill Conlon, a Hall of Fame baseball writer and Philadelphia Daily News columnist. In vivid accounts of foresay, Conlon groped and fondled them and touched their genitals in assaults in the 1970s when they were ages 7 to 12 years of age. This is a tragedy of Kelly Blanchett, a niece of Conlon's, who said he molested her when she was a child. People have kept his secret. It's not just the victims, it's the victims' families. There were so many people who knew about this and did nothing. And that's your problem, isn't it? That's also your problem. What it is, too, if the people get up there and they're kind of famous, they're scared to come forward. Because they know darn well uh, there's another system at work here, too, that doesn't take kindly to exposure, especially if they've got money, make off the guy who's, who's going to be the, vict- be the, the one accused. Colin retired Tuesday from the Daily News where he'd worked for more than four decades. And through his lawyer, George Boschetto, Colin declined to comment. 
Mr. Collins is obviously floored by this accusation. It was supposed to happen 40 years ago, Bochetto said. He has engaged me to do everything possible to bring the facts forward to vindicate his name. Well, they always have to deny it, but they always have lots of uh, wealthy people uh, covering their derriere, you know, and uh, that's how it is in show business. And lots of this stuff goes on, you know, lots and lots of it goes on. And it says here too, they also said that they wanted to bring attention to the shortcomings of the statute of limitations on sexual crimes, which bars prosecution in their cases because the parents did not call police when the abuse occurred years ago. In several cases, the parents corroborated the accounts, and one, Colin's brother-in-law, said the writer broke down in tears and insisted he'd only touched the girl's leg. Well, well yeah, you're all right. So anyway, they've thrown this one to the wolves, uh, and he may or may not get off with it. Uh, the lawyers, it's, it's incredible. I get some stuff coming in here I could never tell you about. But from the inside you know, on some of these things, and, and you wouldn't believe the lengths the lawyers go to 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 vilify the accusers, to, to really utterly right, 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 put, putting gangsters around and threatening their families and everything, and some big lawyer at the top's uh, organizing this and funding it. You wouldn't believe the things that go on in real life. It's, it's way worse than, than TV. It truly is. Now. In Australia, Australia is so PC today. It's so sad because there used to be everything but PC. But uh, they've, been, they've had good training through the last couple of Fabian the socialists. They've been the prime ministers and the present one as well, who's actually got more to her name than just that. Now she could talk about that too, but I can't. But anyway, uh, Liberal Education spokesman Michael Ferguson yesterday said Mr. McKim had shamelessly renamed a taxpayer-funded student award for outstanding achievement in order to peddle his own agenda as leader of the Tasmanian Greens. And what he's done really is changed it from a from from achievement award to think globally, act locally. That's from the United Nations, of course. That's been around for a while in America, that particular propaganda uh, little uh, liner there. So he's, he's changed it to that. For He's a nice greeny sort of guy. He likes green things. He likes very pale, sickly-looking people who are starving, but he likes green stuff better. So I really pity Australia for, for plummeting so far, uh, so quickly too. Really sad. Now, everything on television is, is public relations. It means it's fake. Everything is fake. And uh, every president's uh, speech, every prime minister's speech is fake as well. It's written by... Um, Script writers who are paid, it's like ghost writers. How does this man think? What would he say if he were really saying it? And they'll write it down, you see. And they, they get pushed along there. They're, they stand here, Mr. Cameron, like Prime Minister Cameron. Uh, they stand here, move there, um, that kind of stuff. That's how they do it. And uh, uh, all they have to do is read the, the dummy board and get the photographs taken. And then we, the public, are given all the fake stuff that this portrayed there for you. But David Cameron of Britain, Prime Minister, went to a hospital, was left to the National Health Service. And what they do is, of course, they'll, they'll make sure it's the best little uh, ward that they can get into. And they'll put carpets down and they'll do all, all sorts of lovely stuff. You can maybe even repaint it for him coming for his five-minute photo walk. But I've been put up a, I'll put up a link tonight to the video where a do- doctor walks in. <laughs> I'm sure they'll hate Cameron and, and all of his forerunners too because they've all been slashing at the National Health Service. Uh, and he, he just he blows up and tells Cameron, he just get out of here. Just get out of here. You get out. 
And Cameron blindly obeys. He has to. He's no option because the doctor's in charge, right? But how dare they use, you know, a photo ops? Try, try and, again, to lie to the public who are not in the hospital yet. That, oh, this is not, this doesn't look too bad. You know, they're, those tubes down that guy's nose look like they're, they're new and not recleaned or something or bought at some thrift store. And, and they're disgusting. Politicians are, are, are the scum of the earth. They're psychopathic scum. That's what they are. And they'll always be that way. Because they gravitate into politics. They're picked up too by the psychopaths above them who catch them early. And they can use them. And they always go for power. They love power. And they love publicity too. The limelight. They're actors, in a sense. As long as they get awfully rich in the, in the, on the way too. But how, how dare they have to slash the, the National Health Service to the bone and folk can't get into hospital. They're dying like crazy. And here he is trying to convince you by a photo op. Everything's just cool. Everything's fine. See, here I am. He's a nice little ward. What a liar. There's nothing they won't stoop to, you know. Nothing. Nothing at all. Now, Canada opted out, uh, even though the EU has demanded that everybody, every flight coming into the EU or leaving it must pay this new carbon tax. And it says, Canada's not on board flight emissions trading plan. The National Airlines Council of Canada says it will contest a decision by Europe's top court to throw out a challenge of new charges being imposed on airlines for the carbon emissions of their flights in EU airspace. Uh, so I won't bother reading it all, but, but, but the fact is that the, what a boon this is for, for an extra tax. It's, it's more taxes in this, in this carbon con uh, than you're paying in income taxes. So it's, 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 it's a, like a second income tax for every citizen. I hope you realize that. That's why Obama's bunch was so furious when WikiLeaks and others came out with all those emails and, and, and they rediscredited all, all, the, all the carbon and global warming nonsense. And that's why the guys getting caught in England right now and getting raided by the British police, they're being told by Obama's bunch to go and do that. That's how furious the U.S. is about it because they also wanted this second income tax, you might call it. It doesn't matter if it's call it carbon or energy or whatever. It's a second income tax and even more than you're paying in income taxes right now, by the way. They're furious about it. So they're going to try and get it back some way or another. And Canada's now shipping, uh, but this is not news to me, but Canada's shipping bomb uranium, bomb-grade uranium, atom bomb, to the U.S. It says, um, an aerial view of the Chalk River nuclear power plant in Ontario, and Canada gives you the, the photograph of it. Canada is secretly transporting large amounts of highly enriched weapons-grade uranium to the United States, according to Canadian media reports. A confidential federal document made public on Tuesday says at least one payload of used U.S. originally highly enriched uranium fuel has already been transferred stateside under a new accord between Canada and the U.S., the Canadian stockpile, which is quietly shipped from Chalk River in the province of Ontario, contains hundreds of kilograms of bomb-grade uranium, enough to make several Hiroshima-sized nuclear bombs. This is while the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, the, the country's atomic watchdog, seeks to keep the issue secret by refusing to set up public hearings about it or disclose which communities lie along the transit routes. It reminds me of Britain because when Maggie Thatcher was in uh, it was found out that the drivers were just uh, uh, stopping off at uh, motels and places along the way for the night and leaving their vehicles with all that radioactive stuff inside it unattended. And someone noticed all the signs, radioactive signs on it, 
And she says, oh, we'll fix that. That shouldn't happen. We'll fix that. Well, what she did, she took all the signs off the trucks. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And that's politicians for you again and psychopaths. And, and of course, so they kept getting sitting in the same place uh, every night with new loads coming along. Oh, dear. So everything's just a, just a, a zoo, isn't it? Uh, and, and the stuff that we get fed at the bottom is was filtered through all the, the, the sieves we've gone through. Uh, Pinellas County's fluoridation issue is not to go to referendum. Uh, been a big hullabaloo because uh, Pinellas County, uh, because of the people who demanded it, had their uh, fluoride taken out of the water. And uh, and one of the, the, the people there on the council there still wants it to go back into the water and even bring, she's even discussed uh, getting a half a million dollar truck to, to to go around schools and that to make sure children had enough fluoride. But anyway, that fell off as well, apparently so far. But uh, at least some places are doing the right thing. They're getting rid of this poison. Tonight too, I'll also put up a link uh, to fluoride. Uh, it says they've known the dangers all along. This must be about 50 years old, this little clip from Brass Check TV, and I'll, I'll put that up. It's under drinking water, eugenics, fluoride, uh, poison, and sodium. And you'll actually see it uh, uh, in even weaker concentrations than, than you drink it, uh, going into uh, obviously human tissue and uh, animal tissue, and it literally stops uh, the cells from mitosing and, and splitting off into new cells. It, it, it stops it dead. Uh, and uh, eventually you get sclerosis around the neuronal tissue, the actual nerve tissue itself. So you can watch that as well. Now, I've got a caller on the line here. He's been hanging on, and I'm going to try to get to him now if my screen will be okay. There's Aaron from Nevada there. Are you there, Aaron? Hey, Happy New Year. And same to you. We made it. But this is a reason to celebrate. We actually get through this horrible world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I just throw my hands up and go. I mean, there's uh, they got so many resources and good people working for their side, so to speak. Uh, you know, talented people, not good. But uh, yeah. uh, I don't know how we're going to do anything about it. Ron Paul, I guess, is the only chance we got. But, uh, you know, I've been studying this carbon <clears throat> thing quite extensively. Yeah. I just wanted to share some yeah. um, people who are interested in researching this, because what you're talking about is extremely real, and I'm glad you're talking about it, because this is the next shoe to drop in this whole thing. And uh, go to theice.com, T-H-E-I-C-E.com, and this is the Intercontinental uh, Exchange, and search carbon or carbon 2011, and you'll see all of the stuff they have on this. This is very real. Certified emission reduction units, carbon financial instrument futures, yep. uh, endless uh, renewable energy certificate futures. They've got all kinds of stuff you can bet on. So this is really going to be the next boon, uh, like the Internet bubble. We'll have the carbon bubble. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What, what you, this is, it truly is. They've actually mentioned this at the top a few times in the past. There's going to be another separate economy, uh, only for a, a very small elite, of course, because they'll, they'll have license, licensing fees. Uh, they're already making billions of uh, bucks on trading them, and they got those billions of uh, ones to trade in the first place free from the government. So that's how they started off. Didn't, didn't cost them a cent. And the public at the bottom, of course, is a different story because you will be paying for everything. 
it's so clever. It's not just carbon. What they do is they'll take a, a, a chocolate bar and say, okay, it's got paper on it and, and it's got, it's got silver foil on it and it's got this and, and they work out how much energy they claim, uh, it took to make that particular bar of chocolate. And that gets passed right down to you at the bottom. And that's part of this, this energy tax they're calling it. Uh, it's the same thing it ties with, with, in with carbon and how much carbon it made to, to make that paper and dye that paper and roll that paper and so on and so on. And so everything that you purchase is going to be uh, really fleecing you for your last few cents. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, if I could, uh, please, um, and it kind of concerns the uh, you know, alt-media, the truth movement, as far as the revenue stream, you know, minimal as it is, yeah. but with the you know, crashing of the gold and silver markets, then, of course, all the associated dealers and hucksters for this sort of thing, uh, you know, how do you think, you know, all that loss of revenue to the truth movement is going to, you have any comments on that, you know, dynamic going forward here? I mean, gold and silver just, you know, not, not the market sentiment is not so good for it at the moment. No. And uh, I always stay clear of uh, something that's owned by the same people who own all your central banks. Uh, because uh, Rothschilds, I mean, they started off the, the metals market in London for all metals going through, and also one for gold and one for silver. And literally, the Rothschilds, for the last 300 years, have been getting up in the morning, uh, scratching his bum, uh, and then putting his finger out the window, and uh, deciding magically, like Merlin, what the price of gold is going to be that day. And that's how it's done. That literally is how it's done. And they know when to crash it, bring it down, and they buy it all up for peanuts themselves. Uh, back in their old storehouses again. They've been doing this con for so long that I wish people would wisen up to it. They, they've got control of all types of cash, all kinds. But uh, hold on, we're back after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, just talking to Aaron from Nevada about the gold business and how they, they can crash it, they can build it up again. And, but that's what they always do, though, is once they crash it, they, the same old Rothschild trick, they buy it up for peanuts. Uh, they made a massive profit in the meantime since they've been selling it all along up until that point, then they withdraw it, and, and, and they always win. And, and Rothschild himself said, you never buy high. You always buy low, and you sell high, and you must know when to sell. Just don't get greedy. So it's like the old song that says, "No when to hold them and know when to fold them." The, the gambler, and that's really what it is. It's a form of gambling. Uh, so you got to know when to get out as well. You know. That would be the fixing of the price of gold, right? Fixing is actually the word for it. Yes. Well, it's, it's price fixing. In fact, uh, if you go into the the histories of the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, he was in in partnership with Rothschilds when they created the, the, the Rhodes Society to take over part of the world. Then they, then they joined with the Milner Group and became the Rhodes of International Affairs. But they set out to, uh, to, to take over all the gold and diamonds in, in Africa, basically, and cause wars even to get in there to get the stuff out, which they did very successfully. But uh, uh, that became, of course, uh, the Rhodes of International Affairs, which was dis- determined to take over the entire planet and all resources, but starting with, with gold at that time, when it was actually a, a real currency. Uh, and um, so it's, it's worthwhile reading into the history of Cecil Rhodes 
and you get a lot of information with, with them working with Rothschilds and how they, they fixed the price of gold and how they had vast warehouses full of it and they would hold it back from the public and, and of course the more scarcer it got, more for guy. And they would also build up a panic at the same time. So everybody's running and scrambling for cash that was going up on price and then, then of course they would, they would also crash the economy by in again as peanuts and put it back into their big, big, uh, reservoirs basically of gold. These, these still have them today yet, same with diamonds. They just hold stuff back to make it scarce. Yeah. I was wondering, uh, your thoughts on well, the Iranian decision to, from what we're told at least, to, you know, uh, block the straits, precipitating a conflict with the United States, which they probably can't win. I mean, it seems to me that's bad poker on their part. I mean, then they can't claim victimhood uh, or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, what you, you normally do in a war is to get a war kicked off, like Japan. I mean, FDR had been blocking off uh, the Japanese routes for supplies for quite a few years and even had quite a few of their planes shot down and different things like that to goad them into war, which they eventually did. They had no option. Uh, so when you're being cut off from getting raw resources from your normal suppliers, you, you've, you've got to fight your way out of it. That's, that's what you do. So, of course, with the full sanctions of the United Nations, they're getting the, the full treatment now. They're having their external bank accounts seized. We're, not, we're never told, by the way, where this money ends up. That's people's pensions, everything. is, is, is Just like everybody, other our country's uh, uh, pensions, they're all up in this international stock market. But they also grab their, their, their bank uh, accounts too. Uh, they're keeping all medication out of the country to starve them, just like they did with Iraq. It cost over half a million, almost three quarters of a million lives just starving them and, and keeping medicine from them. So this is a softening up project uh, process, and, and now it's time to goad them, uh, cutting off the last few supply routes. But it's also stopping their access to, to export their oil to the few friendly countries that will accept the oil right now. That's what it's for, to make them make the first move. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's tragic, really. Thank you so tragic, much, Alan. I really love your show. Well, thanks and hang in, but it's, it's tragic the way we watch this scenario over and over. And from Alex from New York, maybe you can call tomorrow, Alex. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's school with you.